Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. We are continuing on in season five, shifting from defense to offense. And this has been a wonderful series right now because we've had three people already involved in what I'll call a mini, mini health series. And uh, Jackie, I believe, is going to become part of this the last one. So I'm delighted to have with me a woman that I've known and respected for a number of years now, uh, certainly through Strategic Coach and uh, and the work that she does. But Jackie Sinkledam is the founder, now senior partner of Hermosa Physiotherapy here in Southern Ontario. She's a kinesiologist and also a registered physiotherapist. So Jackie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So there's been a lot of changes in your life. And there's a couple of things that I want to kind of get down the path of one, your business and what it does to serve. But also I'm going to start probably more at the end because I, I know that you've sold the majority of your business and you've been going through that process. A lot of people that listen here are also thinking about doing that or have done that from a business perspective. So Jackie, maybe give us a little bit of background on Hermosa Physiotherapy and the process you've been through over the last couple of years. Do you mind starting there, please? Sure. Well, I mean, background wise, we were now 25 years into this game of offering physiotherapy and other healthcare services. So we opened in 1997 with one clinic, and now today we have 10 different clinic locations. So um, I like to think of it as controlled, maybe chaotic growth over a 10-year period, and it certainly was something that kept me entertained. Our business generally has had an incredible focus on orthopedic physiotherapy, even more particularly a focus on shoulder, back, and knee pain. Those are where we spend a lot of our time doing research and developing programs. But I think are known in the medical community to be a leader and willing to look at what's new on the horizon. We always rely heavily on scientific research when putting different programs out. So, you know, for example, we were likely the very first clinic to offer pelvic physiotherapy. And that's you know, treatment geared towards both men and women, but looking at incontinence and pelvic pain. And that that goes back to 1997 when the legislation was actually quite restrictive in how we could offer that. Whereas now, flash forward, you know, legislation has changed. And thankfully, there's a lot of pelvic physios that go beyond our organization servicing people. But I think that, you know, we we broke some of that ceiling and created some awareness. A similar type of program where we are known to break through would be our concussion management program. Mm -hmm. I think about the first year that we offered that, where we had Ken Dryden come and facilitate a symposium. It was really quite cutting edge. And, you know, my conversations with family docs and other specialists, I think there was a sense of relief that someone was actually investing time in that program development. And, you know, likewise, now there's lots of clinics that are offering that type of service. And um, I'm, I'm really proud that we were, you know, part of that movement. So needless to say, over 25 years, there's stories like this that I could tell about lots of different program development that has kept us going. And, you know, one of the things as far as business goes that I think the reason why we're successful is because of my ability to recognize and certainly I've had my own coaching as you know to force me to think that way to recognize the resources that we have on our team so a lot of these programs were ideas that I might have had on an individual level but on a team level 
I could delegate to a physiotherapist to run with that and invest lots of their unique time and energy on that specific area. So whether it's concussion management or shoulder pain or knee pain, we have physiotherapists that are in these lead roles to develop those programs. And what that translated into was physiotherapists that wanted to be part of our ownership group. And that was really important because our ownership group is unique because it is physiotherapists. So we're building a business based on a clinical lens and not necessarily a true numbers lens. So that I think has really also magnified our program development. And otherwise I would never have been able to do that by myself to be able to bring the level and the depth of, you know, the research that's behind our programs. So as the time went on, you know, I went from me and another partner to a ownership team of over eight physios that were all developing programs and building the business. And, you know, more importantly, putting out to our communities programs that would really make a difference for our clients and their, what we call our path to improve health. So we wanted to make sure that we were giving tools to our clients. So now we flash forward to where we are today and we have brought on a new partner. And that is also really interesting because that new partnership means that we're now outside of Ontario. So we partnered with a physiotherapist who owns a group of clinics that are predominantly in Atlantic Canada with some clinics that are in Manitoba. So having those numbers, so going from our 10 clinics, their 14 clinics, to be able to bring 24 clinics together that now span multiple provinces does give us more exposure to be able to put out our programs to lots of different interested parties. Like there's certainly lots of opportunities to grow businesses that you need more than an Ontario footprint for. So that was a really a big motivation for us to, you know, be looking at, you know, why would we bring on another partner? The other big thing about bringing on our new partner was that they had more than physiotherapy. So we built this incredible business around physiotherapy. And, you know, we also offer registered kinesiology services and registered massage therapy services. But we were very much in a rehab service model, whereas our new business partner puts together multidisciplinary medical teams. So I think our future will be on expanding our services and building collaborative teams, again, to help work with clients and help them achieve their path to improve health so that we're not going to be limited necessarily by our physiotherapy scope, because when you're going to become a client of Aramasa Physiotherapy, you're not just a physiotherapy client, but you're going to have access to a much more robust team of healthcare providers. So I saw that as a very big incentive for making this transition in our business. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, takes you from start to finish. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, I often say you, when you know people for a while, you know an awful lot more about their past than their present, but in your case, and their, their future, but I didn't really know all the background because we don't have that kind of conversations all the time. So that's wonderful. I mean, it's just incredible what you've been able to do. And just as you were you were talking there, something came to mind to me. I had an injury in my leg years ago. And so I did some physiotherapy and then actually 
I'm going to put this to massage, but I, I think it comes back to what you're just saying. And the person described to me there were three services. One was rehab, and then the next level was maintain, and the third one was performance enhancement. Mm-hmm. And I thought this applies to me. It just applies the same thing for you as well. We got rehab, but you know, there's still physiotherapy needed for maintain. I got a shoulder issue and some of this, this doesn't stop me from doing anything, but that needs to be maintained. And then how do we go to performance enhancement? It sounds like the combination of the group you've got now really able to handle this, somebody from, from start all the way through from rehab, right through to performance enhancement. Yeah, I, I do think that our um, existing programs do facilitate that. And we we do have lots of formalized pro- programs around that. So, you know, post-operatively, you may come in, let's say, for example, for a shoulder, let's say it's an anterior stabilization, which basically means you've dislocated your shoulder in the past and now you've had surgery to overcome that. We obviously have to rehab you to get like basic normal function. But what if you're going back to wanting to be able to throw a ball or maybe you are a baseball player? So then you have to take it to that next level with respect to that performance enhancement. But on the flip side, if you haven't dislocated your shoulder, but you are a pitcher, we do know that you're susceptible to these types of injuries. So then we can look at that prevention side of performance. Mm. And I think that that is a piece of our business and generally medicine that needs to continue to grow. And, and I feel like the landscape of the communities and the clients that we're servicing are more interested in hearing that conversation. I feel like 25 years ago, it was very much what we call an impairment-based or pain-based model that, you know, fix my problem that I have now or fix my pain that I have now. And really that, you know, there wasn't a lot of incentive for people to want to take it to that next level. And I do find in part because I think whether it's social media or increased technology, there's a lot more information available to people. And I think they can see that there are incredible tools that are available to make them better at what they're doing, or in a lot of people's case, to actually prevent impairment and pain from happening to begin with. Jackie, I think you're right with all of that. I'm going to say, do you think it's also because we have now been seeing our parents or the older generation not live very healthily at the end. And I came across an expression down at uh, Abundance 360 recently, and they said there's a health span and a lifespan. And right now the health span of people is probably maybe close to 20 years less than their lifespan, which means they live healthily for a period of time and then the last 20 years of their life not living healthily. And having watched my mother-in-law who lived to be 97, wonderful lady, passed away a number of years ago, not be very well in the last... 10 years of her life, I said, that isn't the way I want to go. And so I would think that your prevention and attitudes, do you think they're coming because we've been able to watch this generation in front of us go have a difference between their health span and their lifespan? I mean, I just, something that's occurred to me as we were talking here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that that will be influencing how people are thinking. And again, getting back to that information that's available to people, I think just on a much more larger scale that information is out there for people to know. I don't know that if we didn't have technology the way it is today, that anyone would realize there's even a difference between health span and lifespan because you'd still live in your little bubble and you might not see it. But yeah, of course, now we we see it on a much bigger level. And I think 
you know, for me, you mentioned your grandmother. I've just spent a week with my grandmother who is still currently in palliative care at 98. She lived independently on her own and just gave up her driver's license in December. Wow. Unfortunately, had a fall at home and it's really, you know, sent her down what looks like will be, you know, the end of her lifespan. So I look at her in leading up and even in her moments of clarity, that's what she would say to me is I was so worried about falling and, but yet she didn't have the support in there. And I feel that some of that is her generation, like no one's helping me, no one's coming into my space. But I think that looking back, had she had that extra support, like you, that's what I'm thinking, you know, when I feel like that's how you prevent the fall is, you know, by maintaining your mobility and staying active, but also being receptive to that extra support when you need it, because otherwise you end up in, you know, sometimes these not so great situations where now you aren't in control of, you know, really what your quality of life is. As you were talking, I was kind of thinking that we were at a upright ski party the other day and there's a band, who's my brother-in-law that plays. And as uh, some of us are in our later 60s and approaching 70s, I know not your age, but older. And a couple of them were like in wheelchairs. And it's not because it's not because they had to be in a wheelchair, but they had fallen or another one had, she said, exploded her leg while she was skiing in Italy. And I kind of go, Oh my God, like, you know, and then they're starting to look older because they don't have the mobility. And that's the one thing that we worried about with, with Karen's mother was she broke a hip and a pelvis from age of 89, survived both of those one at 94, I think at the end, but they don't take the support. And I go, I'm not so sure yet, Jackie, that our generation is ready for that support. I don't think there were maybe you and I uh, who think about this, or you're involved in it. And you know, my daughter is close to this too, as well as we talked, did the podcast just recently with her kinesiologist. So, but I don't think most people are still ready for it. I just, I don't see it yet, but maybe, yeah. maybe you, you see it differently, but I, I might not. And, and you know, again, I think some of it is education that people don't realize the different support that is available. And that's a learning curve along the way. And even for me, who I consider myself really well connected to understanding the support As an example, we just brought on an occupational therapist, well, several occupational therapists onto our team and meeting with them and, you know, having a a deep dive into what is the therapy or the modalities that they provide. If I'm learning things, then you can imagine what the general population's level of awareness is for the other resources that are available. So I really do think that the support is there for people and, you know, trying to take down some of those barriers, which I think are largely knowledge barriers. Because I think if we could take down the knowledge barriers, then hopefully the comfort and the personal obstacles also come down so that there isn't this weird, like I honestly think my nanny felt that there was some stigma associated with, you know, having someone come in, you know, to help her get dressed in the morning, you know, finding out that it took her an hour and a half to get dressed every morning. Like that's just not acceptable. You know, if she would have had that help, then, you know, her quality of life would have been better. And maybe she wouldn't have wasted all of her energy on getting dressed and would have had more energy for some preventative programming. Like falls prevention is lots of great research around that. At the University of Waterloo, there's a a great professor there that um, does all kinds of research on falls prevention. So 
Well, I think it's going to continue to grow. And I think that, you know, the areas of, of gathering information and making it easier. I know I, I I joked with you a little bit before we get started about looking up chat GPT and getting a bio on you. And you said you'd kind of played with it and it's going to be good. But, you know, I actually read the bio out too, which I wasn't going to do on the podcast. But, you know, you can ask all sorts of questions now that you couldn't ask and you can still do it in the privacy. You can still do it without everybody knowing about these things. And I hope that more people will take that opportunity and hopefully as listening to this too, to just be more proactive and be preventative because it's all there. It's all yeah. there to be dealt with. But I don't think most people are really, maybe they just haven't been comfortable with it. I don't know. I know it's something you'll continue to work on. It's something that I look at from our own perspective, my own perspective, because I certainly don't want my health span and my lifespan to be very much different. <laughs> Not yeah. for not not for very long anyway. I want that to go to be as yeah, long as I can. That, like that is definitely part of our motivating factor for building our team. You know, physiotherapy as a profession can address all of those levels that you talked about earlier. You know, the rehab or the pain impairment level, the enhanced performance level, the prevention level. But we tend to do it with a very hands-on approach. And sometimes you need more than that. Sometimes you need the occupational therapist that if you can't really remedy the problem with a hands-on approach, sometimes it's about giving people tools of how to manage their triggers, whether those triggers could be emotional triggers. A physiotherapist isn't going to have the skill set to be able to really help someone on that path and get that same outcome. Or maybe it's working with a registered social worker or maybe it's a naturopathic doctor. There are so many other disciplines that I think if we as a business can build a team that we can give that client exposure to so many more resources and keeping in line what we are good at. Like what we are good at is filtering the therapies that we're offering, looking at the level of evidence there's always something on the horizon, but we're pretty careful not to jump on every wagon that goes by. We do want to make sure that, and I think that our clients rely heavily on us for that. And, you know, they have that confidence coming in, knowing that if we're presenting a treatment option for them, it's because there is a sound level of evidence for that. So now we're just building our team and, you know, giving people the opportunity to go beyond physiotherapy. Well, you know, Jackie, I think you and your team have a really advantage and a unique perspective because if you're going to let somebody be hands-on with you, you're going to trust them. Yeah. There's a different level of trust when someone's going to work with you that closely One on both sides. I mean, you got to be, the physiotherapist also has to be comfortable with the people that they're with. But also I think from that standpoint, now you become not just the the person in therapy, but also but also some becomes a trusted advisor to them. Mm-hmm. And and that's a one that's a it's a great responsibility. I I, I appreciate that side well, of it. Well, and I think responsibility is an interesting <laughs> choice of words because I know personally as a clinician, you know, when you're spending two and three times a week with someone hands-on, as you said, you're touching them and it does develop a different kind of therapeutic relationship. And there are countless times that, you know, my clients are in a vulnerable state when they're with me, that often information that's shared with me, when I look back, was tricky to manage because it was out of my skill set, you know, but yet I was the one that they felt comfortable talking to about, you know, these different 
you know, other issues that were going on. And there, there is a huge move in the rehab industry to look at a much bigger picture. It's often referred to as the biopsychosocial approach where, you know, it, it goes beyond, you know, that knee pain that the person's in there for and really trying to look at the whole picture. And once you start looking at the whole picture, you, you have to also recognize your own limitations as a provider. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's got it. That at times must be a tricky situation. I, I go back and I remember when Christy was doing personal training and it was, and, and personal training is close Similar to being that way, yeah. very, very hands-on kind of thing. And even Christy at age 24, she says, I got to get out of this. I mean, she'd been quite successful doing things. She said, I just don't want to be hearing the stories and talking about this. I'm not equipped to handle this. I'm 24 years old. I'm not, th- I'm not being the marriage counselor between a husband and wife who are coming in, seeing me differently. And I'm doing their personal training. I kind of go, I get it. So I get what you're saying. She said, yeah, I got to, exactly. I got, I got to get out of this. Yeah. 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 Cause they, they trust you, but yeah, I think that gives what I've, I'm really pleased to hear because there, are, I don't think all the professions like yours and the, and the therapists like you're in, in your, in the field have that kind of connection that, that you do. Well, I think some of it is the time, like certainly physio as a profession, generally speaking, spends more time, you know, often if you're seeing your family doctor, it's a much more physical limitation on time. In our business, we've always been known to have, you know, extended treatment sessions. That was one of the things that always made us different. And the fact that they would work one-on-one with their physiotherapist. So there's definitely a lot of, maybe not a lot, like hopefully, hopefully the number is decreasing, but there can be a lot of clinics that often the physio will assess the client and then delegate that care on to a, an assistant, in which case probably as the assistant develops more of the therapeutic relationship. But in our business, because that care was delivered by the physiotherapist on that one-on-one extended time you know, I think that's why the trust is there. And that's why, and same with, you know, you're with that person for a longer period of time. Um, That's when people start to feel comfortable. I'm like, okay, well, this person's making me feel better about my knee pain. You know, maybe they can help with this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've kind of go, where are the earplugs? Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> I, I need... <laughs> sometimes like, that is too much information. <laughs> no, it's uh, never too much information. I, I, I know, like I know, stress that. Never I know, too- I know. We're we're just we're just uh, pushing a little bit because you know the it is also true too that from the from I'll call from the patient side is that you've been helping them and yeah. and there's an appreciation for what you're able to do beyond just the. The actual coming in, having the treatment, and 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 I'd say certainly the pandemic kind of showed that up is that we were we get to be alone, and we and when we have other people that we can talk to and work with, and and that person then becomes that trusted for the work that they're doing. Your trust doesn't doesn't have limitations so much. You, you trust a person or you don't, is my feeling. And if mm-hmm. you do, there's, you, you can trust them with a lot of things, and so that's probably why you get caught into that world. And and I mean, you have to think about you know, some of the more not not extreme, actually pretty common situations, you know, could be someone with, you know, what I would call basic low back pain. But you know, maybe there's someone that has to sit at a desk all day long for work, and that is completely intolerable for them. So now they can't really function at work. And that's impacting, you know, their productivity, and maybe that impacts their earnings. And 
So it's this huge domino effect that they come in and, you know, while we are really focused on that low back pain and when, when we start to make changes and all of a sudden now they can work and they are more productive and therefore they, you know, their income earning is better and they can support their family. You can see why that trust develops because you really, and I mean, that's what makes me so happy to have lived this, you know, 25 years of being a physio is that it's incredible how much you can support people and really give them the tools they need to genuinely, as our processes, you know, put them on their path to improve health. But yeah, more, more so that, you know, you give them back their freedom and their independence and their ability to, you know, live their life to their fullest. Well, you know, Jackie, I know you're not done, but it sounds like it's been pretty rewarding for you. So let's let's take it to someone considering coming into physiotherapy. What would you want to tell somebody interested in getting into physiotherapy? Why would they do it? What can they expect from it? Yeah. I mean, I've had this conversation a lot. I, I do a lot of talks for physiotherapy students. And, you know, for me, physiotherapy is such a dynamic profession. If you are interested in, you know, being that facilitator and helping people. I like to tell the story that I used to think I wanted to be a teacher and I worked in a high school for a year and that was the end of that. But I, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, stifle my passion for teaching. And I think physiotherapy gives that ability to, um, you know, be that facilitator in that conduit of education. And it's also a career that you can take down so many different avenues. You know, I'm an orthopedic physio that I've got to spice it up with pelvic physio, concussion management. But then, you know, I have worked with and done some talks with a pediatric physiotherapy that I think I just saw that they're on their 14th or 15th clinic of franchising a very specialized pediatric delivery of physiotherapy. Or, you know, maybe you're working on an acquired brain injury clinic or people after an amputee, like there is no way you can get bored in this profession. If you are a lifelong learner and you are keen to learn new skill sets, I don't understand how this could ever become boring. And I don't know how many other professions can really offer that. So I think that's the the big thing that I would say to anyone interested in physiotherapy is A, to be good at it, you need to be a lifelong learner and you need to like people. I mean, if you are not a people person and, you know, we have seen that where some kids get accepted into the programs and, you know, they realize, oh, like I have to touch a lot of people. <laughs> you know, this probably isn't the profession for you because it is a it is quite an intimate relationship from a physical touch standpoint, but also from just being social and enjoying listening to people because you do need to be a good listener. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no question you have a passion and and I know people can't see you because we've got the video we've got the video on while we're doing this, just an audio recording, but I can see the passion, still got the big smile on your face. And so if you've got the passion for this, as I agree, there's never ending opportunity to, mm -hmm. to, to make a difference, to go in your own direction, to see things, to put it all together. And that's incredible because not a lot of, there's not a lot of quotes jobs out there. I don't want to call this a job because it's really much more of a profession that you're committed to, but I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. So Jackie, 
our 30 minutes is pretty much gone at this point. This has been incredible, gone really, really quickly. And I always enjoy having you when I see you, but also today to, just to be a little bit more intimate, even though we're on the screen together. Any last words you'd like to say to the audience that uh, will be listening to this? Hopefully, hopefully some of your audience as well as ours as well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe in closing, I would just really encourage anybody to have the confidence to advocate for themselves and not to be afraid to explore the resources that are available. I obviously think physiotherapy as a profession has incredible means to be helping people along the way. But as we've already talked about, there are a lot of tools out there. So I would encourage people always engage in your family doctor, engage in registered healthcare providers. I think that if you're looking for good information, going to those type of resources is a much better strategy than certainly going down the Google tunnel. So use the uh, registered professionals that are out there because there is no shortage of them at this point. Well, that's, I think that's great advice. I know that's something that, that I've come to do more of and will continue to do more of, maybe coming at it later in life, but it's never too late, as you say. So, so Jackie, thank you very much for being Thanks with us for today. Me. Yeah, it's been fun. So to all of you out there, until next time, please stay safe and stay healthy. 